All right, good evening. I have about seven o'clock, so we're going to try to get started right on time, seven to eight every Tuesday. It's good to see all of you here tonight. We're so glad you're here for our summer Bible study. Uh, for those of you that were not here last week, we're just taking four weeks out of the middle of the summer uh, to go through the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, this is our second week. Uh, don't forget... Uh, and we'll have uh, maybe Mike send out an email to those that we have on our email list from the mine. Just a reminder that next Tuesday we are not meeting because that's the third, the night before the 4th of July. So we decided not to do next Tuesday, but we will then come back for the 10th and the 17th of July. So after tonight, we do have two more. And then just a reminder that a month after that, August the 21st, the mine will start back up. And we'll be in this room on Tuesday night. Seth, who is our worship leader, will be in here leading worship beginning at 645. We'll have a great 15, 20 minutes of worship. And then we're going to dive into the book of Romans beginning on August 21st. You're not going to want to miss that study. That is the book of the Bible that uh, I say it this way. If you've never allowed God to define your life, the book of Romans shows us what a life defined by God looks like. And it's really cool. Uh, so I think you're really going to enjoy that study as well. Speaking of uh, studies, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And this study we entitled, Learning to Get the Most Out of Life, because we believe that the principles that the Apostle Paul laid down in this book really do show us how, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we can learn to get the most out of our life. And so before we dive in tonight, let's ask the Lord's blessing and help. Just a real cool story I want to share with you folks. Um, just, you know, God allows us all as Christians to be part of some really cool moments. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a gal around 50 years of age came. I mean, her, her and her husband have been coming to the church now for several months. Uh, to make a long story short, she had a blood clot that basically put her... Uh, without oxygen for a number of minutes. And uh, because of that, she was being kept alive by machines over here at Mercy Gilbert on the 202 in Val Vista. Um, the family decided to, you know, take her off those machines and just leave it in God's hands. And uh, today was the day when she's, still, she's now breathing on her own. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, don't think they expected that. Um, so anyway, it's just, uh, just to see God working and not that she's out of the woods, you know, they're not humanly giving her a lot of hope, but she loves Jesus Christ. Uh, if the Lord does take her home, she's going right to heaven, uh, and the family has that hope. And so it makes a big difference, you know, when you've got that hope. Uh, but, uh, if the Lord would choose to, you know, uh, heal her in some way and bring her back, boy, that would be quite a testimony as well. So as I share with the family this afternoon, she's in a no-lose situation. You know, she really isn't. And that's the way it is for Christians. You know, we're, we're in a no-lose situation when it comes to that. We're going to be talking about that in a couple weeks, uh, probably the last uh, session we meet on July the uh, 17th, because we're going to be talking about death, because uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about death and the rapture of Christians being taken off this earth and what that's all about. And it's exciting and we want you to be a part of that as well. Uh, so let's pray and we'll get into it tonight. Father God, thank you so much for each and every person here tonight. May your spirit just fall upon this place in a special way tonight. And may your word just be unleashed in this room tonight to encourage us and to comfort us and to give us, Lord, whatever we need to bring us further along in our walk, in our relationship with you. Father, we truly believe that that's why we're all here tonight. We just want to go after you, and we just are seeking you and seeking to hear from you. And we just pray tonight that that would be the case, that we would leave here uh, uplifted and encouraged and challenged by your word. And Lord, just thank you for the growth that's taking place in this church, the spiritual growth the number of people that's growing on this church campus each and every week who really want to study the Bible and who want to get connected to the Bible and dig into the Bible. That is so encouraging. Father, we believe that that's going to totally strengthen our whole church. So, Lord, bring 
continue to bring more and more people uh, to our Bible studies so that all of us may grow together and just continue to become more and more like Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians. Here's where I want to begin tonight. Just a little bit of a foundation from last week because it's key to the entire book. If you were here last week, you remember that one of the uniquenesses of the book of 1 Thessalonians is at the end of every chapter, Paul makes reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of that again. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 10, to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus our deliverer from the coming wrath. Chapter 2, verse 19, for who is our hope or joy or crown to boast of before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Chapter 3, verse 13, so that your hearts are strengthened in holiness to be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, really beginning at verse 13, dealing with the rapture, but specifically verse 16, for the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with the shout of a command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then chapter 5 and uh, verse 23 Now may the God of peace Himself make you completely holy and may your spirit and soul and body be kept entirely blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what we shared about that was this. The reason why that was so important to Paul was because if we're talking about getting the most out of life, one of the principles that Paul wants us to grab a hold of is that he believes that one of the ways we can get the most out of life here on earth is by living every day in light of eternity. And by knowing that there's more that's coming, that obviously eternity is way longer than however long I spend on this earth. Even if God would allow me to live a hundred years compared to eternity, it's a grain of sand on the seashore, it's a drop in the bucket. So eternity is the big thing out there before us, not this life. And so Paul is saying, remember the Lord is coming. Remember the words of Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled, he said to his disciples and to us. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John chapter 14, the first three verses. So Jesus promised to be coming again, and Paul is reminding us of that coming. I believe that that coming could come at any time. There is nothing prophetically that is preventing Jesus Christ from coming. He could come before this Bible study is over. Alright? So His coming is imminent. And God wants us to be ready. And He wants us to live every day in light of the fact that one day we could be here on earth and the next day we could be in heaven. That's the way it is. And so that really helps us to just get everything we can out of every day that God gives us. Um, I'll leave it at that. Let's go on then to where we want to pick it up tonight in chapter 2. Chapter 2. We went through chapter 1 last week. Chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, about our coming to you. It is not proven to be purposeless. And as we shared last week, remember, Christian, nothing is purposeless for the Christian. But although we suffered earlier and were mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of much opposition. Here's the next principle of how we can get the most out of life. Don't become discouraged by opposition. Don't become discouraged by opposition. Notice here in chapter 2, the first couple verses that Paul says, especially in verse 2, hey, we were... We were mistreated in Philippi. But that wasn't going to prevent us from moving on to Thessalonica and see what God could do in you and through us and all of that because we knew God still had a work to do. Don't get discouraged when one door closes. There's always going to be another door out there that opens. And maybe the, the Philippians weren't as open to the ministry of Paul as the Thessalonians, but, but Paul kept pressing on. Too often... Even as Christians, we get so discouraged so easily when we face some kind of obstacle or opposition. And we've got to learn not to be discouraged by opposition. And one of the ways that we can allow that to happen is you'll notice at the end of verse 2, he says, we had the courage, but it was in our God. God is the great encourager. In fact, again, that's the word courage is in the word encourage. 
And, and God wants to encourage us to keep the courage to keep pressing on and moving forward in spite of opposition. In fact, what we have to come to grips with is the fact that most of the time, we're doing something right, not wrong, if we're facing opposition. So don't look at it that, you know, a lot of times Christians face opposition. It's like, well, I guess, you know, God doesn't want me to be involved, you know, or, or keep. No, no, don't look at it that way. You know, you're on the radar screen of Satan and, and he's going to oppose what you're trying to do. And even like being a part of a Bible study like this, you know, you're trying to make progress in your relationship with the Lord and your understanding of God's word. He's going to throw up opposition and obstacles. He's going to make it as hard as he can for you to get here on Tuesday night. I mean, he just is. It's not going to be easy. You and I cannot get discouraged by those things that oppose us, and we've got to allow God to encourage us and keep on moving forward in spite of opposition. In fact, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, there are many doors open to us, but there's just as much opposition. But Paul didn't look at that negatively. He said, look, I know there's going to be opposition facing me as God opens the doors. That's just something I've got to come to grips with, but that should not discourage the believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, keep your finger there in 1 Thessalonians 2 and go over to the book of Hebrews with me, just a little bit to the right. Go through 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then you'll come to the book of Hebrews and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Great reminders. Because these folks were going through a really tough time too and ready to throw in the towel. And they were discouraged by all the persecution and opposition that they were facing. And here's some great advice and counsel and a godly exhortation. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set out for Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of Him. Meditate on Him. Consider deeply Him who endured such opposition against Himself by sinners so that you and I may not grow weary in our souls and give up. For the writer of Hebrews reminds us, you have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed like Christ in your struggle against sin. What great words. You see, we have to remember Jesus Christ faced opposition at every turn. And yet he knew that he had to keep his face towards Jerusalem. That he was here for the purpose primarily of getting to that cross and dying for our sins. And no opposition to that was going to keep him from his appointment to get on that cross. And so that's, that's the kind of mindset that we need. If we're going to get the most out of life, don't let the opposition discourage you. Then go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and continue on with me at verse 3. And I'll stop here in just a moment. For the appeal we make does not come from error or impurity or with deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we declare it. Second principle here tonight, take your stewardship seriously. That's how we get the most out of life. Notice he talks in verse 4 about how God had come to a point where he was willing to entrust us with this good news about Jesus Christ. And I just want to point out there that, yes, specifically, Paul's talking about the gospel there, but I want us to see tonight our lives from the aspect of a stewardship. That God gives us people and things as a stewardship to manage. And if you and I want to get the most out of life, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to take our stewardship seriously. That whatever God has entrusted to us, we're going to be faithful with those things and, and we're going to manage them properly, and we're going to look at them correctly, and it's not ownership, because if I look at it the way God looks at it, I don't own anything. God has just lent me, lent me some stuff to manage for Him. It's all His. And He's entrusted it to me. And if I begin to look at life more as a stewardship and not as an ownership, I'm going to get more out of life. Because those people that cling to all these things and, and go through life with a, with a clenched fist trying to hold on to everything because I own this. This is mine. 
Oh my goodness, that's, that's a tough way to go through life. Because guess what? Sometimes you're going to lose those things. And that's going to rock your world and that's going to totally blow up your life. But if it's a stewardship, then it wasn't yours anyway. It's God's. And if God wants it back, then He can have it. And if God lets me have it for a while and lets me manage it, that's great too. I will be faithful to the stewardship and the things God entrusts to me. And that's the way I'll go through life. That's the way you get the most out of life. That's the way Paul looked at his life. It was what God entrusted to him. And remember what I said last week. One of the things that we have to be conscious of is that now matters for eternity. And the way we manage what God has entrusted with us down here on this side of heaven is going to determine the responsibility and the position of responsibility that we have for all of eternity up there based upon our stewardship here. So very, very important, you see. Uh, That's why Jesus said in the parables, if you've been faithful over the little that I've given you here, I will make you faithful over much. And God will always give us more than what we ever maybe managed. His reward is so much greater than what, you know, He gives us to manage down here. So that's encouraging as well. Let me go on to the next. Where did I leave off? Oh, here we go. The end of verse 4. Next point. How do I get the most out of life? Don't live to please people or to seek praise from people. Notice Paul says in verse 4, we were entrusted with the gospel not to please people, but God who examines our hearts. And then take your eyes and move down to verse 6, nor to seek glory from people. Folks, that's, that's just huge. That's just huge. And I know a lot of people are what we call people pleasers, you know. Let me give you a quick test to find out if you're a people pleaser. All right? Here they are. A few questions. Does your self-esteem depend upon everybody else's opinion of you? Number one. Number two. Are you better at taking care of the needs of others than you are at taking care of your own needs? Number three. Do you avoid confrontation or conflict because you fear displeasing someone else? Number four, do you often keep your opinions to yourself because you think others are smarter than you? Next, do you suppress your negative feelings to avoid displeasing others? And finally, do you go overboard to please your boss because you feel you have to please him or her at all costs? Paul says if you want to get the most out of life, live for the audience of one. And that's God. Let God be the only one that defines your life and the only one that you're living for, ultimately. Because again, if we understand it properly, if my vertical relationship with God is what it should be, then I will be who I need to be horizontally. I don't need to worry about that, you see. God just says, put me first in your life. Seek to please me and me alone. And whether... Others like you or not like you, that's going to fall out, but you need to be committed to me and not allow the relationships around you to keep you from being all that you could be for me. Very, very important. Just huge. So if we're really going to get the most out of life, we've got to begin to get away from being such people pleasers and become more concerned about how we're living for God and how we're doing that. One more, and then I'm going to stop for comments or questions. I think the next principle here is use wisdom in relating to others. Notice that Paul says in verse 5, We never appeared with flattering speech, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Notice in verse 7, he says, Although we could have come to you in Thessalonica and imposed our weight as apostles of Christ, And really said, okay guys, we're here to take over type of thing. He says, instead, we became like little children, gentle among you. Like a nursing mother caring for her own children. See, if we're going to get the most out of life, one of the ways that we do that is by just using wisdom around other people and how we relate to them. 
Because God wants our life to impact other people in a positive way for eternity. And sometimes when we don't use wisdom, we end up pushing people away rather than allowing them to be drawn to Christ. And so Paul just says, if we're learning to get the most out of life, we need to walk in wisdom towards those as we relate to them. In fact, just go back one book to the book of Colossians, right before 1 Thessalonians, to chapter 4. And Paul says this again to the Colossians. Notice in chapter 4, verse 5. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. And he's just using that word to speak of those who don't know Jesus Christ yet. They're, they're outside the church, if you will. Making the most of the opportunities that we get to rub up against those who don't know Christ yet. And part of that wisdom is going to be fleshed out in what comes out of my mouth. So that's why in context, notice verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. What does salt do? It causes more thirst. And so the Bible is saying that when I walk in God's wisdom in relating to other people, especially people that don't know Christ, hopefully my speech will be such, it'll be so gracious, it'll be seasoned with salt, that I will actually cause a thirst within them to want to know more about my God and my relationship with God. As he goes on, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. And let me just remind you, the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if we need wisdom, all we've got to do is ask God for it and He will give it to us as much as we need. So nobody has to say, well, God, I don't have that wisdom to know how I should answer and how I should talk and all of that. God just, just, just asked me. I'll, show, I'll guide you. My Holy Spirit will control your words at that point. If you're sensitive enough that when you get in conversations with Christians or non-Christians and you're asking God to help you navigate that conversation, I guarantee you He'll show up and help you. You just have to trust in His Word that He'll be there for you and He will help you answer the way you should. And that's what Paul was saying in to the Thessalonians in chapter 2. One of the reasons that God used Paul and those on Paul's team so effectively was because he had such wisdom in relating to people. Some people, even Christians, are so abrasive or they're so negative. I mean, what person who doesn't know Christ wants to embrace them whenever they go through life? How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Aren't you a Christian? Yeah, yeah. Got a lot of joy there. Yeah, well, you know, you know. Yeah, that's really creating a thirst for God, you know? That's why we have to use wisdom. That's what Paul said. Paul said, I could have come at you as the weight of an apostle, and I could have maybe forced you, you know, or tried to, you know, use my authority as an apostle of Christ, but no, no, no. I knew I was going to get much further in my relationship with you coming as a kind, caring, compassionate, coming at you from that perspective than... Coming at your heart, you see. Uh, just a little side note for those of you that uh, are married in here. It's a good principle for that whole marriage thing, too. How a husband and wife should relate to each other in conversation. Using wisdom to know what to say, when to say it, how to say it. It's huge. In the last two weeks here at Cornerstone, I just tell you, pray for our marriages. We're doing more counseling and trying to help people with their marriages now than ever in the history of our church. And I realize we're growing too, which, you know, but last week and this week, I had five couples last week and five couples this week that I'm dealing with and they're having a real struggle right now in their marriage. And this is every week here and I'm not the only one, so... We need to pray and lift up those that are married and, and really, but it goes back to more than that. All right, before we move on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, comments or questions? You're going to get the most out of life, right? Yeah. All right. That's right. Okay, I'm moving on. One of those questions in that uh -huh. was something about... 
Are you better at taking care of the needs of others than you are at taking care of your own needs? Yeah. Some good things about or is it a matter of degree? A degree. Yeah, certainly God wants us to look out for others. Uh, I think a lot of times, though, people neglect themselves to the point where all they ever think about, because their their motivation is, I gotta I gotta please this person to to keep them liking me and stuff, and they're not they're not paying any attention to themselves and keeping themselves on a good level. And even and Ron brings up a great point. I always share with people to me. Uh, God always wants us to minister out of the overflow. And so the best thing I can do if I'm going to be effective in other people's lives is to build up myself first and allow God to just overflow me. I love that illustration or that, that thing that Ron did on Sunday. It was just awesome. With the water and just... When God overwhelms our life like that, then we can just minister out of the overflow of God overflowing us and then we can flow into others, you see. But I've got to I've got to pay attention and, and, and be intentional and strategic to avail myself of the opportunity, just like you guys are doing tonight, to build yourselves up so that you can leave this place and throughout the next week be able to build and encourage others by maybe the things that God is sharing with you. So that's huge. But yeah, Ron, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that is an important distinction we, we need to make. All right, next. Notice verse uh, 8. Here's the next principle. That we need to be willing to share ourselves as well as the gospel. Now I realize it doesn't, it's not going to come automatically, but there's got to come a point where if I truly, again, I know that God, God left me here for a purpose. Listen, if God didn't think that He could use my life to bring honor and glory to Him and to touch other people's lives, then the moment I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, He'd have zapped me to heaven. Boop, boop, that's it. Where's Jeb? Oh. The reason why God leaves us here even after we're saved is God knows that if I just give my life to Him, my life can bring glory to Him and my life can be used by Him to make a huge difference in other people's lives. And so that's why Paul says, I've got to come to a point where I open my heart up a little bit and I realize that's risky. Because some of you in this room, guess what? You have been burned, you have been hurt beyond imagination. You've had your heart stomped on. And it's going to be hard for you to get to a point with anybody to begin to open up your heart to sort of lay it out there a little bit. But God will heal you from that, and you will if you just let God. Okay? I guarantee you, because I'm a living example of that. Some of you know, some of you don't know. The, the church that I pastored back in New York, the state of New York, before I moved out here... Basically, me and my family went through a very abusive situation with that church. When we left that church, the four of us looked at each other and said, I'm never going to be in ministry again. I am not going to be a pastor anymore in my life. I mean, we were hurt that deeply. Well, obviously, you know, that's changed. (laughs) So God brought that about so that I could be there again. In fact... I know this is a shameless commercial, but I think it would be helpful to some of you, maybe even here, and hopefully more folks. August the 12th, I'm going to begin a series in this room at uh, 8.30 in the morning, one of our small churches, on God can help you heal. Uh, so many people. In fact, I don't know of anybody that hasn't been hurt. Some of us worse than others. And here's the deal, you've got to allow God to heal you from that or you're not ever going to get the most out of life the way God wants you to. You've got to learn to pack that away properly. And how do I do that? How do I let God heal me from being hurt so deeply? That's going to be a seven-week study that we're going to begin on August the 12th right here in one of our small churches. So I'd encourage you, if some of you have been hurt and you're really struggling with Letting God heal, or how do I let God heal me from those deep wounds? We're going to talk more about that. But notice what Paul says. Again, I had to get to a point, verse 8, with such affection for you, we were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Again, it wasn't overnight, but through this relationship, God really knit their hearts together. And Paul says, you know what? It wasn't just about sharing the gospel and sharing the Bible. 
you got our hearts were knit together and and I gave you my heart, you gave me your heart. And we could then go on a whole different level to where both of us could get more out of life. Because that's the way God created it to be. A lot of times, though, I think Christians are like porcupines. You know, we get around each other. We like quill each other all the time. Like, you know, we know we need to get close to each other. It's like, oh, man, you stuck me. I'm getting away, you know, type of thing. That's the way we sometimes have to navigate this thing. But God wants us to be able to open up our hearts. And here's why. Here's what I tell folks all the time. We may impress people from a distance, but we're only going to impact them up close. I can impress somebody from a distance, you know, wow, he looks, you know, but I'm only going to really be able to impact other people's lives if I'm willing to get close to them. And that's risky. But let's remember something. God is the ultimate risk taker, is he not? Because God, in his grace, wants to get close to us. And do we not burn him all the time? Of course we do. That doesn't discourage him from continuing to have a relationship with us and wanting to get close to us, even though we burn him all the time. I fail God every day. And God still says, but Jeff, I I want to have a relationship with you. And I'm going, you you want to have a relationship with me? Even after I've treated you so bad? Yes. And so God says, "Just, just use me as an example. I know it's hard. How hard was it for Jesus Christ to be hanging there on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. Wow. That's supernatural love. Yeah, and that's the same love that God gives to us so that we can heal. And listen, God doesn't want you to ignore the pain in your heart. You've been hurt. He's not downplaying the hurt. He's simply saying, now give me that hurt and give me that heart and let me heal you and restore you and bring you back to a place where, like Paul, you can get to a place in your life where over time you can begin to open up your heart to somebody else again. Because only at that level will you really experience what a relationship is supposed to be like. We need to get beyond professional to personal. And it has been said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's what Paul is saying here. With such affection, verse 8 for you, we were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Next, seek to be a blessing, not a burden. Notice he says, for you recall, verse 9, brothers and sisters, our toil and drudgery. Sounds like some people's work, right? That's what I do every day. I toil and I drudge. By working night and day so as not to impose a burden on any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. And you are witnesses, and so is God, as to how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was toward you who believe. We talked about character and the importance of that last week, so I won't touch on that. But I did want to pick on that word burden in verse 9. God wants us to seek to be a blessing to others, not a burden. That's how we get the most out of life. Because you know what? That's going to attract people. People aren't going to relax in our presence and be comfortable around us. And we're not going to be able to build meaningful relationships if they can't relax around us. And what I, what I simply mean by that is, if we have a reputation for always being a taker and not a giver, then people are going to see us coming down the hallway and go, whoa, I'm going over here now. Because every time I see them and I have a conversation, they always want to ask me for what, what can I... And, and again, a healthy relationship is going to be give and take where both parties are mutually encouraging and mutually giving and taking. But if I begin to have the reputation around people that watch out for that person because every time they call you up or they see you or something, they want something from you. They want something from you. Every time. Paul says, do you realize I worked all night? I I labored. I had a job even just so I wouldn't be a burden to you. Because I I didn't want it to be about, well, Paul's coming into Thessalonica and all he cares about is what he can get out of us. No, Paul wanted to make sure that his testimony amongst the Thessalonians was one that could open up the door wide for the work of God and to where the Thessalonians could never accuse Paul of saying, oh, Paul's just here to get something from us. No, Paul was here to give and that was all he was there for. Now, I realize, again, in a healthy relationship, 
It's both. And Paul got back from the Thessalonians as well, because it was a healthy relationship. And then next, value your relationship with God every day, which sort of goes along with living in light of eternity every day as well. Because notice Paul says in verse 11 and 12, as you know, we treated each one of you as a father treats his own children, exhorting and encouraging you and insisting that you live in a way worthy of God. God who calls you to his own kingdom and his glory. Realize God not only wants a relationship with us, God is going to share his glory and his kingdom with us. What's up with that? That's just wow. And so that's why Paul says in verse 12, then live in a way worthy of that God and that relationship. And we talked last week about it's sort of like reminding ourselves we're putting on the Christian uniform every day. And we've got to remind ourselves of all the heroes of the faith who died for their faith and who lived faithfully for Jesus Christ all through history. And we're able to have the privilege of putting on that same uniform. And that uniform as a Christian should be worn with pride. And we should seek to live that way every day to bring honor and glory and never shame to the Lord who shares with us His blood, His forgiveness, His kingdom, His glory with us. And that's why I use the word value, because if you study this word worthy in the Greek language, the word literally means value. Do we really value our relationship with God? If so, then I'm going to live a certain way. I'm going to wake up every day if I truly value what I have with God. It's going to motivate my everyday, it's going to impact my everyday behavior. If I truly value it. Now, if I devalue it, it's not that big of a deal to me, then obviously it's not going to make much of an effect on how I live my life. But if I truly value my relationship with God, then it's going to make a difference in the way I live my life. And I need to then sort of dedicate and commit myself to that. The cool thing is, God picks up on that and says, now I'll empower you. I'll give you the strength and the grace and all of that. I will never call you to do what I will not equip you to do. Which is the great thing about our God. Then as we move on, I'm just going to stop in just a moment. I'd like at least to get through a little bit of chapter 2 tonight. We'll get there. This should have been a six-week study instead of a four-week study. Notice also in verse 13, how do we get the most out of life? Be open to God as He speaks to you. Because Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 2, So too we constantly thank God that when you received God's message that you heard from us, we were just a human instrument and you recognized it because you accepted it not as a human message, but as it truly is God's message. And my friends, when we embrace God's message, it's always at work. You see that there? God's message is always at work among you who believe. Please be encouraged by that. Even tonight. You may leave here and go, I didn't really get much out of that Bible study tonight. But just by the fact that you are exposing your mind and your heart to the Word of God, God's working. He's he's planting some seeds tonight. He's working. And that working may not show up for a couple days, a couple weeks, even a couple months, or maybe even a couple years But because you expose yourself to God's message, because this is God's message, not man's message, God's going to use it to work in your life. The Bible says in the Old Testament, God's word never returns void. And when God throws his word out there, remember, this is a supernatural book. This ain't no ordinary book out there on the bookshelf. This is supernatural book that once it goes into our mind, it begins to work. So just be open to God as he speaks to you. Have that open heart. Remember in the parables of the soils, it's so huge. Jesus says, the Word of God is like seed. And some of the seed falls on hard ground. And it can't penetrate or do anything because the soil is so hard in some people's hearts that they can come to church, they can come to a Bible study, they can hear the Word of God, but it doesn't do anything to them. But God says, if you have a soft heart, if you keep your heart tender, if you keep sort of the soil of your heart plowed up, then when the seed of God is thrown in there through a Bible study or something, it begins to germinate, it begins to work, it begins to bring forth fruit. And then I love this. Notice then in verse 14, 
For you became imitators, brothers and sisters, of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, because you too suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they in fact did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us severely. The next principle about getting the most out of life is believing in something so deeply I'm willing to suffer for it. Man, that's on a whole other level. Because let's face it, there are a lot of Christians who say, I believe, I believe in God, I believe He loves me, I believe I'm going to heaven. But if they began to truly have to suffer persecution or suffer in some way for believing in Jesus Christ, the Bible says some of them are going to back off. But the Bible says if you truly embrace what you believe so deeply that you're willing to suffer for it, and God may call upon you to suffer for doing what's right and for the cause of Christ sometimes, God says you're going to receive a blessing that the world could never match. And you're going to get more out of your relationship with me than you ever thought possible. And then... Verse 17, 18, 19, and 20. Invest in eternity by investing in people. That's the way to get the most out of life. Invest in eternity by investing in people. Notice Paul says, When we were separated from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time in presence, not in affection ever, we became all the more fervent in our great desire to see you in person, for we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, in fact, tried again and again, but Satan thwarted us. For who is our hope or joy or crown to boast of before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not, of course, you? For you are our glory and joy. You. When I stand before God, Paul says, and I'm being rewarded and commended for my life of service and my stewardship for Him, you know what's going to bring me the greatest joy and satisfaction when I stand before Jesus Christ, my Savior? You, he said. My investment in you. What God did in your life through me, that, that will make it all worthwhile. No matter what I had to suffer, no matter what I had to go, no matter what friendships I, whatever. Paul says it will be all worth it on that day in heaven when I see and I look around heaven and see all the people that I encouraged and that I taught and, and all of that and that God used my life to make a difference and God is using your lives to make a difference in other people's lives. You've got to remind yourself of that. God is using your life to make a difference in my life. You are as much an encouragement to me as I believe I could ever be to you on Tuesday night. So you've just got to, by faith, accept, I can encourage other people. I can make a difference in their life. God wants me to do that. I am, and I will continue to do so. i just got to give God my life and let Him take it. So that one day when you get to heaven... Hopefully, your response will be the same. You know what, Lord? I got the most out of life because I just invested in people. And I've shared with you before one of my, you know, Pastor Jeff sayings. There's only two things that we come in contact with on this side of heaven that are eternal. Only two. People and the Bible. Everything else, when we go into that ground and we die, we can't, it doesn't go with us to heaven. But any time that we spend making a difference in a person's life, their soul's eternal. That's an eternal investment. Any time we spend reading, studying, meditating, memorizing the Bible, sharing the Bible, defending the Bible, share, whatever, that's an eternal investment because the Word of God lasts forever. So you guys here tonight, Tuesday night, not just because it's a Bible study that I'm teaching, but you're making an eternal investment. That's good. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not things on the earth. Invest in people. They are eternal. I do want you to notice this, though. Again, Paul talks about full circle. He started out the chapter talking about don't be discouraged in the face of opposition. Do you realize as we read down through here, notice in verse 15 of chapter 2 that, that people were opposing the work of God, in fact, in verse 16, he says, they hinder us from speaking to the Gentiles so they may be saved. And then in verse 18, he talks about Satan thwarting us. 
Paul understood. People are going to hinder me. Satan's going to try to thwart me at every turn. I'm just going to keep on moving forward. I am not going to be discouraged by those who oppose me. In fact, Paul's taking the opposition as a sign that he's doing what he should be doing. And he's going to continue to press forward. He's going to continue to move forward and not let that opposition discourage him. Comments? Questions? Yes. Yes. That's a great, you know, the Bible says, Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I mean, ultimately, even if we believe a person is somehow being an obstacle to us, at that point, they're just, Satan is just, you know, using them as one of his instruments. It's not really, there, there's, a, there's a spirit behind that act. Now, not that they're not responsible, but that's true. And going along with what uh, she said, I think I've mentioned this in some of my Bible studies before, let's remember the principle too, and we've all been hurt, okay? And we've probably hurt others. The principle is hurt people, hurt people. And we've got to keep that in mind. Some of the people that we come in contact with through the day that are really ugly toward us and they're full of anger and they're hurting other people, they're dying inside. They're, they're hurting inside. That's why they act the way they do. Because they don't have this wonderful maybe relationship with God or that relationship with God is very weak and broken or whatever. And they're just very hurting people who hurt others. That, we find that in our life. I know when I have hurt others, it's because I've been a hurting person. And again, that's why allowing God to help heal my hurts is so important. Because if I don't, then I'm going to go around hurting other people rather than helping other people and encouraging them like God wants me to. That's why I've got to be in a good place and let God heal me. Face those things in my life that need healed. A lot of times we live in a world today, and I deal with this so much with counseling, is that people, we just, we're stuffers. People hurt us, and we just stuff it down, and we think, you know, I'll deal with it later, or I'm, not, I'm just going to pretend like that didn't happen, and it comes out. It can come out months later, years later, whatever, but it comes out, and most of the time it comes out in very ugly ways if we don't truly deal with it and let God heal us. And here's the thing, our God is a God of hope, help, and healing. He can give you hope. He can help you. And He can bring about that healing in your heart that it needs. Even if it's been broke. But you and I, our responsibility is we've got to give it to God and let Him heal it. Sometimes it's like, no, I'm not letting God heal that heart. I would rather be hurt so that I can hurt others. <laughs> Somehow that makes me feel better. But it really doesn't, does it? Nah. Yes, my quick little story about investing in people. Um, as you know, my brother's part of the Gideons, and the Gideons, one of the things they do is they, they give Bibles to people. And they were at a college once, and a young man, a freshman, came up and listened to a little bit of the Word and took one of the Bibles and kind of enjoyed what he heard, but he took the Bible and stuffed it in his backpack and never gave it another thought. He went on through his college years to have some great difficulties and some great troubles. He got into some bad people. He got into drug abuse and some other problems. And several years later, he was thinking of committing suicide. Mm. So late one night, he decided he was going to kill himself and he was going to do it through a drug overdose. So he grabbed his, his school backpack and he was reaching in for the drugs and couldn't find them. And he emptied his backpack out and out fell this Bible. And some of the things that he heard several years later came back to him. He actually opened the Bible up and started reading and just, just broke down. Well, he spent the entire night reading the Bible. Um, he actually, uh, I think the Lord intervened. That seed, that investment that was made in him saved his life. Mm. Uh, he went on to turn his life around and um, actually wound up being a, a bigwig in the beginning of the organization. Wow. He talks about that even to this day. Yeah. But that's, that's just a, you know, when you were saying the investment in people and how important in God's word, that story just came to mind. Yeah, and let's not discount, as I've shared with you before, there's no little people, there's no little places, no little things we do for God. Like there, God could take giving somebody a Bible, and years later, who knows what that would do. We, we should not look at anything we do for God as, well, this is, this is all I can do type of thing. That's what Satan wants us to do. God says, if you can give a cup of cold water sometimes in my name, I could use that to impact eternity. So, 
Give what you have to God. I love the story of Moses. What's that in your hand, Moses? It's just a rod. Yeah, but that rod is going to now become, instead of the rod of Moses, the rod of God that's going to part the Red Sea. So give what you have. God doesn't expect you to give him what you don't have. God just says, give me what you do have and let me use it. Whatever that is. Your talents, your abilities, your passion, your, you know, your gifts, whatever. Give what you have to me and let me use it to impact other people and invest in eternity. Yeah. Yes. Good question. A couple different things. I think if I'm going down the wrong road that God doesn't want me to, my conscience will bother me and the Holy Spirit will convict me. And I will have a conviction from within through the Holy Spirit that, whoa, 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 God never wanted me to do that. Where on the other hand, I will have a peace knowing that this is truly what God wants me to be involved in and wants me to do. But man, it's so hard to connect. And remember something here. What we're seeing is a great dynamic we need to keep in mind. One of the things that the Bible encourages us to do as Christians is to get together so that we can mutually encourage each other. And yet, isn't it, don't you see it here that one of the things Satan tries to do is keep us apart? Paul wanted to get there with the Thessalonians so that he could encourage them and they could encourage him. And it seemed like Satan was always trying to keep them apart because Satan knows that spiritual growth doesn't take place in a vacuum. That one of the dynamics that God created was that, that when we all come together, there's a synergy there and all of us are stronger and, and wiser than just one of us. Isolation is, is a bad thing. And so God wants us to get together, but Satan will do everything he can. And that's why just like on a Tuesday night, instead of coming together with God's people or on a Sunday or whatever, he'll throw up every roadblock he can to keep you from coming to church and being with other Christians or whatever. Because he wants you to just do your own thing out there. Because that's a very vulnerable place to be. But when we intertwine and knit our hearts with other Christians as we see what Paul's doing here, then we learn about God's best and getting the most out of life. In fact, you'll notice here as we just sort of dive a little bit into chapter 3 and then we'll pick it up here next week, that another principle for getting the most out of life is look for alternative solutions when obstacles are put before you. Too often we get so, again, discouraged. We just throw up our hands when, when we see that Satan has thwarted us. And it's like, well, okay, guess I can't do anything about that. And we've got to maybe pray and, and we've got to ask God for wisdom that there's, there's maybe more than one way to tackle that. And maybe I'm just looking at it one way and maybe I need some godly counsel or something so that somebody, and again, that's where it goes back to how important it is we get together because several of us maybe be able to figure it out where me on my own, I might not be able to. This church is a great example of that. I mean, a lot of the cool stuff that you guys see happen here on Sunday and in some of our special days here, people always ask, who comes up with that stuff? Well, most of the time, it's a team. It's a team of people sitting in a room, sharing and sharing and playing off of each other because we've understood that's, that's the way you, you know, get it. So notice what Paul says here, then beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, when we could bear it no longer, because we, we, we wanted to find out how you guys were doing, because we were afraid if you go on that, that maybe Satan had gotten a foothold in there and was causing some problems in the church at Thessalonica. So he said, when we could bear it no longer, we decided to stay on in Athens alone and send Timothy to you to encourage and strengthen you. The point I want to make is this. Okay, Satan may thwart Paul from going himself, but Paul came up with a great idea. And it was actually a twofold solution. One... I'll send Timothy in my place. And two, oh, I'll write a letter. It's called First Thessalonians. That's a good idea too. And I'm glad Paul came up with that because then now we get insight into something that maybe, again, if Satan wouldn't have thwarted Paul, Paul would have went and been with the Thessalonians and we would have been out without a book in the Bible. So it shows again how God can override the working of Satan and bring about ultimate good. Paul did not get discouraged and just throw up his hands whenever Satan thwarted him. He probably got with some other guys and gals and they prayed about it and he thought about it and he asked God for wisdom. He said, okay, I can't go, but somebody can go in my place and I'll write a letter to them called First Thessalonians. 
And this brings up another point here, and I'll close with this one tonight. Living self-sacrificially with an open hand. Because you'll notice there in the first couple of verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, yeah, I sent Timothy to you so that he could encourage you and comfort you, but that meant I was left at Athens alone. But Paul had gotten to a point where for him... It was more important that the Thessalonians be encouraged and comforted than it was that he had Timothy. And so instead of clinging to Timothy and holding on to Timothy, that relationship that he felt he couldn't go without, he's like, God, you know what? Timothy isn't mine anyway. He's yours and this relationship is yours. And so I'm just going to let it go and I'll let you take Timothy from me if that's what's best. And I'll stay here at Athens alone. Man, again, a giver, not a taker, a blessing, not a burden. Paul, this letter, the Thessalonians, the way he lived, it is modeling for us. It is laying down principle after principle after principle that if we begin to apply these on a daily basis, we will really get the most out of life. Not that life's going to be easy. There is nothing in this letter that says, oh yeah, you turn your life over to God, it's just a red carpet and you just... No, that's not the way it is. Paul says, man, I'm all alone in Athens. Satan's thwarting us. Other people are hindering us. We're suffering. We're being opposed. We're being persecuted. So there's nothing easy about it. But there's a strength in there, isn't there? It's like, but Paul knows his life is counting for something. Paul knows that his life has purpose. And that's sometimes what we have to encourage other people today of, that your life has purpose. Satan doesn't want you to think your life has any purpose. Satan doesn't want you to think that God can use your life to make a difference in eternity. But it can. It can. And you've just got to believe it by faith. And continue to trust in Him and trust in His Word that your life is making a huge difference. And all God wants to do is just say, now, just let me make more of a difference. Just let me make more of a difference. And you'll get the most out of this life. Because again... We're not living for just this life, are we? We're living for what's coming. That's what we're really living for. Yes. Yeah, it really is. And something we have to keep in mind. And the cool thing is, God's always preparing us for something else, too. Whatever God's doing in our life, He just wants to set us up to a place of health and strength and wholeness and healing to where He can continue to bring all that He wants to in our lives so that again we can make a greater impact for Him in other people's lives. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think I see what both of you are saying and sometimes we can get focused on the things down here to the point where we're not keeping our eyes focused on the real prize which really in turn then causes us to live down here every day the way we should be living. It sort of works together that way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yep. 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 Guys, you're terrific. Let me just say it's a privilege to teach you all on Tuesday night. Let me remind you before we close in prayer and let you go don't come next week. I mean, that's terrible to say, but I'm not, we're not going to have it next week. So. Remember, July the 3rd, next Tuesday, the day, just remember, 4th of July, okay, that week we're not having it. But the 10th and the 17th of July, we're going to finish out as much as we can the book of 1 Thessalonians, looking at how we get the most out of life. I think you'll enjoy it and be encouraged, so I hope you'll come back and bring somebody with you. We can, we can pack a few more people in here tonight. Okay. By 3. 108. Good. Very cool. Very good. All right. Let's pray and I'll let you guys go. Father God, thank you so much for encouraging us tonight with the example of Paul and the Thessalonians and Lord, just how you worked in and through their lives and how you magnified yourself. And God, I just pray that each and every person here tonight would just sense your love in a special way. God, you're sort of just giving us all a a heavenly hug and just reminding us that we are one of your very, very special children and you love us more than we could ever imagine. And Lord, you want to give us your very best and you want us to get the most out of our earthly life and the most out of eternity. 
And you want us to enjoy life and eternity because we're enjoying you. That you are the focus of our life. And we are just so overwhelmed and consumed with you that it just sort of flows out to everything else. And just makes life and everything that we go through and we deal with worthwhile. Because we know nothing is purposeless. Everything can be used to bring us closer to you and stronger with you. And just set us up in such strength and wholeness and healing that, Lord, we can just move on in this life and, and Lord, our life can just get better and better with You. God, give us that, that confidence and that hope as we leave here tonight saying, my life so far isn't all there is. There is more and I'm going after it. I'm going after it with everything I've got and allowing You to just take me, Lord, to a place that I never dreamed I could even get close to. And Lord, just... Give us that faith to be able to release that life to you in that way and just see what you will do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, I love you. You're terrific. Have a great couple of weeks. We'll see you back here in a couple of weeks.